Well, last week, we were talking about what is the Week Vision Series, and we were in the book of John, uh, chapter 15, and we've been talking about what does it mean to bear fruit, and we looked at this big vision we have here at Renewal Church of Chicago to renew and reveal and release people for the work of Jesus Christ here in the city as well as the world. We want to see this city better because we're here. And, and, and there's one thing, family, that I'm pretty staunch on when it comes to vision. When I look at vision and I look at the Bible, I'm not big on trying to reinvent the wheel. That, that's, my, that's not my thing. I, I don't want to come out with the cool gimmick and try to figure out how do we get people in the door. I want to look at the Bible and I want to look at what did Jesus do? So when we look at Jesus in the Bible, we see Jesus, we do see him renewing the hearts of the people by spending, taking regular, them spending time with him. And then he takes 12 guys under his wing and you see them, him taking regular old guys, tax collectors, fishermen, and he's rebuilding their lives. And they're rebuilding, he's rebuilding their lives by them spending time with him. And then lastly, you see him release them after he goes to heaven to do the work of the ministry. Now that he's gone, carry on in that mission. So it, it, it's nothing big to that. It's pretty simple. When you read the Bible, you see what Jesus is doing. There's no gimmick to that. And, and if that was good enough for Jesus, then I'm going to tell you something. It's good enough for me, and it's good enough for our church. Amen? Amen. It may look a little different today, but it's still the same vision. We're going to follow Jesus and do the work of the mission for us. And last week, we took a look at John chapter 15 and God's vision for his people. And we saw that God's vision for us is to abide in Jesus. And he, he says, bear fruit. For apart from Jesus, hear me, y'all, you cannot, we cannot bear eternal fruit apart from Jesus. We can bear fruit, but it won't be fruit that's pleasing and honoring to God apart from Jesus Christ. And I, I was visiting one of the groups this last week. I was visiting the Oak Park group. So, if you're not in a group, I think we mentioned it earlier, sign up for a group. We want everybody in this church in a group. This is where you can get to know one another, dive into the scripture a little bit more too. But I was sitting in this Oak Park group, and they were talking about the scripture and talking about what it means to bear fruit. And they were saying, it, it's kind of like branches, a tree that loses a branch. You see branches that fall off of trees. You see branches all over the ground. When the branch falls off the tree, that branch is now of no good to that tree anymore. It can't bear any fruit. It doesn't get any leaves. It simply doesn't grow anymore. It probably just dies. It may turn into some paper or something of that, but it's no more of a benefit to this tree. The tree can't utilize this branch anymore, right? And they said, so is the same with Jesus so is the same with God. Work done apart from being in Jesus. Our works and what we do is really of no use, as the scriptures say, if not that are, are abiding in Christ. He says those branches that, are, are, that don't abide, he, he, he prunes them and he gathers them all up in the scripture. It says they are burned. And judgment. And now, this isn't to scare anybody into believing in Jesus. That's not what it is. That, it's pretty plain and simple, but it's not to scare anybody. It's not to also think of God as some vindictive God who's out to get you. That, that's not what the scripture is saying, but it should cause us to question when we look at that scripture what does it mean to abide in Christ and to bear fruit? What should that look like? What does that mean? So we're going to look back at John chapter 15 today, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. So if you got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open it with me? If you don't, it'll be on the screen. The Bible, we have them out in the lobby too. But we're going to look at 12 through 17, the second part of John 15. If you're able, why don't you stand with me to your feet as we read the Word of God.
Starting in verse 12, the text reads, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for, your, for the servant. For the servant heard from my father what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit shall abide so that whatever you ask from my father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. These are the very words of God. Before you take your seat, I, I want to pray for you, but um, we're going to look at another scripture today too. So I want you to take your thumb, if you got a Bible, and just put it on John, John chapter 13. Because in this, as he's walking through the farewell passage, what Jesus gives us is this perfect or vivid picture of what are your thumb to truly bear fruit what it means to truly love someone else. So put your finger or your thumb over on John chapter 13. And before we go any further, I want to preach on the fruit of abiding. Can you say that with me? The fruit of abiding. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time. You're an awesome God. You're awesome, Lord, and you're a good, good father. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, remove me, God, decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, have your way. And let your people hear a word from you. God, we thank you and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. <clears throat> now, when I started thinking about what I was going to say to you this morning, and I was looking at this passage, uh, I started noticing I was having a lot of trouble with it. I was having a lot of trouble with this passage because I honestly started having to examine my own life. I had to look at my life, and, and I'm looking at this passage, and I started to ask myself honestly, have I been loving others? And I understand, do, do I understand the implications behind these verses that Jesus of times, do, do, I, do I honestly love others the way he's telling me to love? And I started thinking of times in my life where I've maybe displayed or done acts of kindness or where I've humbled myself and loved someone else. Like when I got on one knee at my wedding and I washed my wife's feet. Yeah, I, I washed her feet and it was to symbolize my humility and my selflessness and how I'm going to love and serve her for the rest of my life. And I began to ask myself, looking back on that, because as I was doing it, I'm like, do I really understand what I'm doing? Did I really understand? And, and, and a simple answer to that question is, gave you all the... No, I didn't. You see, at the time, I could have gave you all the theological understanding that you need about what it meant to get down on one knee and wash her beautiful feet. I, I could tell you what it symbolized and me giving myself away and me loving her like Christ loved the church. I could tell you all of those things, but family, did I really know what it was going to take when we got into marriage? No. Did I know what it was going to take the day after we left that wedding? No, I did not. And here's the other fact. At, at my wedding, y'all, it was simply a blur. 
Anybody in here that's been married or is married right now, you know that when you're in the wedding day, you, you're just taking it all in. You're looking around, you're crying half the time, then you're smiling half the time to hold the crying back. You're talking to all these people. You got to remember a thing or two, and then you're meeting more people. At the end of the day, it's a blur. You don't remember a thing, and then you get home and you go to sleep, and then you wake up like, what just happened? I mean, for real, I, we got a DVD. We pop in. We watch it every year just to, just to remember what happened. DVD, y'all don't know what that is anymore. DVD, we, we, got, we, we, had, we had a DVD. We pop it in, and we watch the, the film, and we're like, man, you know, Auntie and them was at the wedding, baby. I didn't even know. We 10 years into marriage. I'm still seeing new people at our wedding. It was a blur. See, as I'm looking back at this, I, um, it, it calls me to ask the question now. Now that I've been married for a while, 10 years, and, and do, I, do I really love my wife like I publicly proclaimed at our wedding? Do I selflessly give myself away to Do I serve her like Christ loved the church? Do I do that? I'm asking myself this, and, and you're probably wondering if I do, but here's the thing. I ain't going to give you the answer to that, okay? You're going to have to talk to her after service, all right? She in the back smiling, so that means that I, I, I must be doing a good job. But. <laughs> but see, the truth of the matter is, here's the truth. I can only try to love her more and more every day, better than the next, and be more and more like Christ. I can only try when we started laughing and love her better. And, and this truth led me back to this text, the same one we started last week. Because here it is. If, if I truly abide in Christ, as we talked about last week, then I will bear the fruit of love. D don't miss it. See, see, the fruit Jesus is speaking about when he's saying abide in me is this this, this unconditional love that comes from Christ. It it's only comes from truly abiding in him. That's the fruit of abiding in Christ. But the question is, what does that really look like? What's that mean for us? What, what's that really look like? What does it mean to love like Christ? How does that live? You see Jesus, but, but how does that? One, like, so I, I want us to talk about two points, and I'm going to get out of your way today. Number one, we got to talk about and we have to understand the one who first loved. Jesus. Number two, we have to follow his example. Have to follow his example. Now, to give you a bit of context, and in case you weren't here last week, this passage is right smack dab in the middle of the farewell passage. So what that is, is, is from chapter 13 to chapter 17, God or, or Jesus is spending time with his disciples. This is at the last supper. They're sitting there and he's, he's giving himself away. He's about to die. So he's passing on everything he has so disciples through these next four chapters. And, 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 and this is what's happening. So, so all the people that have followed Jesus, the thousands that he's fed, all the people that he's done miracles in front of them, and they, they, they fall in love with Jesus for one moment, and then they go to the next. All of these people are gone now. It's just Jesus and his 12 guys, and he's given himself away. It, it's kind of like someone writing a will or giving their last words to someone when they know that they're about to pass away. That's what Jesus is doing right now. These disciples were Jesus's family. They were his loved ones. They were the men that were going to carry on his legacy after he was gone. So he has to give every 12 God them so they understand what it means to walk in his shoes, so to say. 
These 12 guys were Jesus' method of winning the world to himself. I don't need you, don't miss that. It wasn't big evangelistic campaigns. It wasn't tent revivals that Jesus was really interested in. He spends most of his time with these 12 guys helping rebuild their lives, them coming to him, and through those men, through their changed life, they changed the world. They changed the world. Now, in the text, Jesus has told these men, he says, abide in me, and you will bear fruit. Hear me, though. This does not mean that you cannot bear fruit eternal in Christ. You can bear fruit, but as I said last week, it will have no eternal bearing on it unless it's done in Christ. Here's the reality. We all abide or will abide in something or someone. And guess what? We will produce fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit? What kind of fruit? Hear me, if, 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 if you're not trusting in Christ, then the simple truth is that you're trusting, you are trusting in something. You're trusting in someone or something, and guess what? You will bear fruit in some way. The problem is that fruit outside of Christ, as the text says, is temporal. All of those not last, and the passage says that those branches were pruned off of the tree. God prunes all of those branches, and eventually, in the judgment, they're burned up. And he says, abide in Christ... And the text says, you will bear fruit. But again, the question still that's left with us is, well, what does that fruit look like? What does it look like in our lives? And, and, and looking at this passage, he makes it pretty clear what that type of fruit is. Jesus says that it's, it's simply loving one another. He makes a commandment. He says, this is my commandment in John chapter 15. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. Don't miss it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. See, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, abide in me or obey, and they will bear fruit and be able to love like Christ. And in verse 15 or 16, he says that you should go and bear fruit, which implies the purpose of Christ saving them. See, it's the purpose of him choosing him and choosing them and saving them. It's not necessarily, don't miss this, it's not just for their own good. It's not for their own individual salvation. That's not why Jesus chose these men. It's not why he chooses to save us, but it's one for their individual good, but it's also so they can turn around and go out the door and out into the streets or the highways and the byways and share the love of Christ with other people. Don't miss it. It's a both end. It says, be fruitful, bear fruit. But the question remains, well, what does that fruit look like? So to help illustrate, I hope you got your thumb still there on John chapter 13, because we're going to walk through those first five verses, because it gives us a picture. Jesus exemplifies what it means to love another person. Look at this text with me in these first five verses. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside the outer garments he had on. He's taken a towel and he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Friends, this passage brings us to our first point, 
Because in this passage, in order for us to, if you, did, if you missed it, in order for us to truly bear fruit, number one, we, we have to talk about and understand the, the one who first loved. Jesus here in this text is about to exemplify and carry out the greatest act of love toward another person ever before by dying on the cross and suffering for sins that he didn't commit. That's what's about to happen. There's no way that Jesus could die for sinful people, let alone wash these men filthy, stanky feet here in chapter 13 without truly loving them. Hear me, you cannot truly serve another person without having a genuine love for them or you're simply doing it out of obligation. That's, that's how we serve people a lot of times. We do it out of obligation. We don't really know what it means to truly love someone selflessly. But Jesus gives us the example right here in chapter 13. It says that Jesus knew that the hour was coming and having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. He knows he's about to die, but he still loves them. Now, don't miss this. If you want to produce fruit, abiding, like I said earlier, you have to know about the one who first loved and how he loved, which means we cannot just skip right over verse 1 right here where it says that he, he loved already. See, the reason for this verse being here, it, there's a reason. There's a big reason. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pitch my tent for a little bit, and we're going to stay right here in verse 1. Is that okay with y'all? I need y'all to talk to me this morning, okay? Yeah, yeah. We're going to stay there for a minute. This verb where he says, having loved, or loved, he loved, is in his active form, meaning that Jesus is not just saying, I love you. He's actively loving them. He's not just performing lip service like some of us do, but he's actually living a lifestyle towards the disciples of love. That's what we're seeing in the text. Now, this word love here in the Greek form is pronounced agapao. It's where you get agape from, which connotes the fact that Jesus is actively loving them. There you go again. See, the interpretation of love here, this meaning, it means to cherish. It means to have affection for, to take pleasure in, to prove one's love for another. He's actively loving these guys. It's an indicative type of love. It's an unconditional type of love. We see Jesus doing this for his disciples throughout his time here on earth. And right here, they found on the message of scripture, we see him intentionally pull them aside and he's pouring his life out on them. He's spending time with them. He's teaching them before he leaves the earth. He washes their feet. He, he, he gives of himself and then he, he prays intensely for them. And in order to do this, hear me, y'all, Jesus had to remove himself from the picture. And I, I don't mean physically remove himself, but his feelings and what he knows was about, is about to happen, his presuppositions. He had to remove himself from this picture to love them well. And the reason I'm talking about this is because, hear me, it's really easy to love someone that you want to love, but it's very hard to love someone. Jesus right here is against you or is an enemy. Now, follow me with this because Jesus right here, this is what I'm getting at. If you look at this passage, Jesus is not only washing his disciples' feet, but he's also washing Judas Iscariot's feet. He knows he's going to betray him. He knows he's his enemy. As a matter of fact, by the time we get to chapter 15, the text we started in, Judas is already gone. He's all about his business. He's got his silver in hand. He's like, y'all want to know where Jesus is? Come on. I'm going to take you to him. He's already left the supper. He's going to get the men to kill Jesus. Now, now, let me ask you, Jesus knows this. How can you, how can you love someone who you already know is against you? 
How can you love someone who you already know is your enemy? How can you do that? But that's what we see Jesus doing right here. He's doing exactly that. He tells us in Matthew 5, he says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I read this verse and, and I, I think it's one of the most powerful verses in scripture, but it's also one of the hardest to live because it's totally contrary to human nature. When you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. If you kick me, I'm going to kick you back. I hear you, Miss Tammy. That's true, right? If you spit on me, you better run. Don't, don't, don't. It's about to go down Kevin Hart style up in here. Don't, don't, don't you do that. that that's, that's human nature, right? Yeah, y'all ain't going with me. That's human nature. Somebody spit on you, you going to let them just spit on you? No. But why is it that we see Jesus washing the feet of the very person who's about to perform the most heinous act of betrayal in all of human history? He's kissing his Savior on the cheek, the man who just washed his feet. And see, the answer is that Jesus loves unconditionally, and he recognizes the fact that we're all fallen, even Judas right here. And in the text, it says, verse 3, that Judas is just plan. He knows the will for his life. So hear me, this ain't even about Judas. Judas is just a part of a bigger plan of salvation right here. This ain't about Judas. He knows he's about to die. Judas, go and do what you need to do. I'm not, you, you go ahead and do it. You're just part of the plan. But my real point is that Jesus died on the cross for all of those who will believe. Hence the word will meaning that nobody, everyone had not believed yet. So until that, see, don't miss this. This means that Jesus didn't just die for those who believed in him. That means when Jesus went to the cross, he died for his enemies too. Because hear me, until we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're still, I have six to eight, for we're still an enemy of God and in need of a Savior. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says this, For while we were yet still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, I love that but God, but God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss that. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not sure I could die for my enemy. I'm not sure I could die for someone who, who just publicly disgraced me. And, and to make it worse, someone who I've been walking with for years, I just got down on my knees and washed his feet. I, I'm not sure I could die for people where I've done miracles all around the place. I've fed the 5,000. I've fed the 4,000. I've, I've healed people, and they still don't believe. I'm not sure I could die for these people. But the text says that God loved you so much that even in your of rebellion against him he set forth a plan sending his son to die for us do you do you do you understand the magnitude of God's love right here towards us and I'm not talking about the love of Jesus I'm talking about the love of God right now see a lot of times we just skip over God and think of him as this mean man or this mean being in the Bible who, who yeah we're talking about me he's out to get me but here it's talking about the love of God not Jesus yet we're talking about the love of God 1 John 4, 9 through 10, it says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved 
us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Don't miss it. God loved us so much that he sent his son to serve and to die for us. The wrath of sin has been satisfied by his son dying. The magnitude of God's love toward us here. Tell me, and Romans 8 tells us that there was nothing that can separate us from the love of God. See, God knowing we were his enemies in sin, loved us enough to give of his only son for those who believe. So, so we don't just see Jesus loving us. But we see God loving us so much that he sends his son when he doesn't have to do anything. He sends them down to the earth. That could have been enough. Jesus could have came down here, walked among us, said, this is how you do it. Just like Montel Jordan, walk like me, do this. This is how we're going to do this. But, but, and then Chuck the Deuce says that and said, I'm out of here. But I thank God this morning that we didn't have a savior that just morning and just showed us how to do it. But he died for us. Somebody should give God some praise this morning. We have a Savior that came out here and died for us. Andrew Murray in his book, Humility, I love this book. Y'all have heard me mention it before. Small little book, one of my favorites. And he says this quote, he says, listen to these words. He says, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. As the love and condescension of God makes him the benefactor and helper and servant of all. So Jesus of necessity, remember that word necessity, of of the throne was the incarnate humility. And so he is still in the midst of the throne, the meek and lowly lamb of God. Love those words. Now stay with me now. Because it says out of necessity... Out of necessity, Jesus being 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. It's this big word we call the hypostatic union. It says out of necessity, he comes down here, lives a perfect life without sin in front of people. Jesus being God has the power to overcome sin. So he comes down to earth and God having loved us, God loves us. He sends, sends Jesus here. Where we're here, he, in the midst of our sin, and he can't even stand the stench of sin. It's mind-boggling when you think about the love here. He can't even stand the stench of sin. He sends his son to come down here and live the same kind of life that we did without sin, experience life as we did, meaning that he went through all the hardships, all the pain and the trials, losing loved ones and friends betraying him, them turning their backs on him, his family not believing in him, all of these different things Jesus went through. And family, I don't know about you, but it brings joy to my heart that I have a Savior who can sympathize with my sufferings he knows what I'm going through he understands what I go through on a day-to-day basis but he doesn't stop there y'all heard me talk about this before he doesn't stop there now he understands that we cannot live up to this holy standard set before cross yet you got sinless he makes his road to the cross but we can't get to the cross yet you got to talk about the road to the cross because Jesus was hit on he was locked in chains he's kicked he spit on, and then they put him over some wood, and they whip him. They scourged him so badly that he should have died from the eternal bleeding that was happening inside of him alone. But he didn't stop there. Jesus then gets up, and he puts that old rugged cross on his back, as the old folk used to say, and he hikes up this hill called Calvary, and he hangs there with nails in each one of his hands and nails in his feet for sins that he did not commit. Family, do you understand the type of painful death that Jesus went through on our behalf? passage 
He did that for our sins, sins he did not commit. And here in our passage, we read about this same man, knowing that this hour is coming, he's not all frantic, but he stoops down on one knee, lowering himself, lowered in a servant or a slave, and he watches these 12 men, their, their filthy feet. Do you understand the type of love that's been displayed by Jesus toward us? Don't miss what's happening here. This man, Jesus, God in the flesh, gave us the ultimate example of how to love someone, or in other words, how to bear the fruit of abiding. But the real question we must ask is, are we doing the same thing? Are we loving like Christ? Which brings me to my second point. We have to follow his example. We have to follow his example. The truth is, family, that Jesus calls us to love and do the same towards others. What he tells his disciples number, a number of times in this farewell passage, the same thing. And like in this chapter 13, 13 to 14, he says this. He says, if I then, your Lord, your teacher, have now washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you the example that you should do as I've done to you. See, what Jesus is saying is that instead, I didn't just do this. I, I haven't just saved you for your own good. But instead, now that, that it's for my glory, but also so you can go out and do the same thing for other people that need to know about me. Family, he, he doesn't just command believers to do this, though. Don't miss this. He, he, he's actually showing us how to do it. He's exemplifying this type of love for us. Everything Jesus did throughout the scriptures, he did it for the good of other people. He came not to be served, but he served other people. He's serving them. He's giving his life away to them. He's serving his disciples. And most of all, he's serving his father. All throughout the scripture, you see Jesus pointing who sent me back to God. John 5.30, he says, I seek not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Don't miss this. Jesus models by saying that, what he's really doing, he's modeling what abiding looks like. This is God in the flesh. But he's still like, it's not my will. It's the will of the one who sent me. He always points back to the Father. He humbles himself. But you know, there's a problem with us. There's a problem with us. We, we, we can't get past the part where Jesus is washing our feet. Where he's doing something, me, we, we, it's all about me, Jesus serving me. We, we don't get to further on where he's now like, do this for other people. We stop right there. So we go to Jesus for, he's our genie in the Bible. He's there to serve everything that we need. It, it's, it's all about me and we don't read further and we miss where he says, go do the same thing for others. It's both vertical reconciliation between you and God, but it's also you need to go horizontally and, and, and love other people. It's a both and. It's not one. It's a both and. See, we, we don't get to that point, and it's almost as if Jesus knew it because he says it right here at the end of, of chapter 13. But then as we get to chapter 15, one another, in that verse I just read, he makes it a commandment. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends when you do what I command you. It's almost as if Jesus knew that we wouldn't get it. 
Y'all hear me? God's vision and his plan has never been just about us being saved individually. That's one part. God has called us as believers and allowed us to experience his love, his mercy, his grace, the salvation, not just for ourselves, but now that we can go out and share that same love with other people, meaning that he's called us to meet the needs of us for our lives, people that are around us that need truth, that need love, that need caring for. See, there should be this immense amount of, of, of it should be this urgency, this, this, this it's, it's welling up inside you that's about to burst forth. If you're truly abiding in Jesus, you, you shouldn't be able to hold back the love of God. Y'all missing this, so let me give you some imagery, okay? Have y'all ever had to go use the restroom a lot? You, you ever had to go to the bathroom really quick? Like, I mean, yes. come on, go with me. <laughs> I'm trying to be, I'm, I was coming a little softer because I didn't know if y'all would get me. Have, have, you, have you ever had to use the bathroom really bad? I mean, for real, like, if you don't get to a bathroom, it's going to be a problem. I, I was in a car last night. It's about to be late at night. I'm studying. I'm like, Demond, you got to pull this car over now, doc. It's about to be a problem in this car. I got to go. All that camp food was getting to me. It was time to go. And see, if I didn't make it, it was going to be a problem. And what I'm really trying to say to y'all, excuse the imagery, what I'm trying to get to y'all is that, look, just like that same welling up that's inside him where you can't get to a bathroom, it should be the same thing. If you truly abide in Christ, you should not be able to hold back the love of God. It should be bursting from within you. Y'all gonna think about that later when you're, on a, when you're in the bathroom. You see, Christ trials. And say, abide in me and I in you so that you can get through your trials. He doesn't say that so you can get, to your, get through your day-to-day -day circumstances. Yeah, that's part of it, but that's not the whole thing. But he says, abide in me and I in you, because now he's giving you the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to be with you, because, because hear me, here it is. We don't possess that, that spirit or the same heart to give away ourselves to another person, at least like, not like Jesus did. We, we, we don't possess that within us. You may think you do, but you don't. We, don't. we don't possess that by ourselves. So he says, I will be with you. Abide in me and I will be with you. And you know what one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love like to love. It's part of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you the will to love like Christ did. The question becomes... Still, are we living like Christ? Are we truly abiding in him? Are we imitating our father? Let me end with this. I remember uh, I got five kids and uh, my two older daughters, it was just them a while back. It was just them two. And my wife and I, we talk about our day every day and like, how, how was it going? What happened at, 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 at the job? What happened with the kids today? And she was just telling me about her day with our kids one day, and she was saying that I was watching, and Maya and Eliana, and Maya was about two, Ellie's a baby, and she's watching Ramaya, and Ramaya is making all these faces at Eliana and making all these noises, and she's patting on her back. She's trying to make her laugh, and then when Ellie starts crying, she's like, oh, Ellie, deep voice, oh, Ellie, oh, Ellie, oh, Ellie, it's okay, Ellie, it's okay, Ellie. And, and my wife said, as she's watching this, it, it hit her like a ton of bricks. 
hit her like a ton of bricks, something that she would usually get really upset at Maya and say, why are you doing this? You're annoying her. She's probably going to hit you, or if not, I'm going to get mad. And, and she doesn't say that, but she sits back and she's looking at them, and she said, it just hit me. As I'm watching what she do this, all she's really doing is just imitating what she saw work with her father. Y'all just missed it. See, see, Maya's interactions with Eliana, it's not something she just came up with. She's sitting there and she's patting on her back because she saw me do it. She's, she saw me patting on her back. She saw me trying to make crazy faces and making noises. And, and so she's doing it. She saw me patting on her back and saying, oh, Ellie, it's okay. Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you in his arms. Nothing can harm you. So all Maya's doing is imitating her daddy the whole time. Y'all are missing what I'm saying. My wife looked at me and she said, all I could do was just smile. Joyful thing to size. Because it was such a joyful thing to say, but at the same time it was convicting. Because I had to ask myself, am I truly imitating my father like that? Am I truly abiding in him like that? Family, here's the truth. When we abide in Jesus... We actually produce the fruit that he's talking about here in this text. See, hear me. The fruit that Jesus is talking about is this unconditional love that we get to share with the world. And honestly, I've already said it. We don't have that inside of us without Christ. We don't have that type of love that covers sins. We, we don't have that type of love that, that gets past faults without remembering and then holding against other people. We don't have that type of love that allows us to cross racial lines and keep our presuppositions outside the door. We don't have that type of love that crosses the lines of division without bringing everything we have into that place. We don't have that type of love that draws people to the love of God by ourselves. But if we abide in Christ, we can do the same things that he's called us to do, the same things we see in the scripture. And most of all, family... We can do the last part of our vision and be released and see a city and a world change for the glory of God. Let us be a church that renews, rebuilds, and releases people through the work of Jesus Christ. That was his vision first. And it's ours too. But we first have to abide, or in other words, believe.